Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait What, a comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. In the not especially dramatic conclusion to episode 52, Graham McMillan and I discuss X-Force number 12, Captain America, Bucky 620, Witch Doctor number 2, Walking Dead number 87, Criminal Seduction of the Innocent number 3, Kirby Genesis number 2, Dance Lot Spider-Man and Paul Levitt's Legion of Superheroes, Decompressed Storytelling, Recompressed Storytelling, and much more. As always... Thanks for listening. Okay, I read Uncanny X-Force um, number 12, The Dark Angel Saga, chapter 2, that has um, the, the memorable cover of Psylocke all kissing up on um, Phantom X. And it's basically kind of a make-out why, issue. Why is that a memorable cover? Uh, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a memorable cover because... Is it, is it racy? I, it's what Mar- it's what people consider racy. It's it's annoying. I, I'm you googling saw- it right now. It's not. It's uh. yeah. See, I mean, okay. First off, it's it's Psylocke's butt cheeks, which are kind of annoying. Um, it's it's um, it's Marvel's favorite woman pose. Yeah, yeah. Which is where you manage to get almost, you know, as with the front on butt. Is that I guess? Yes, but also. Side breast. Yeah, it's like front on breast, front on front butt and side boob, which actually well, sounds I mean, like can, a tough cop team. Can you? <laughs> that'd be awesome. Um, but can you imagine? I guess how the weird position you'd have to get yourself in for mm-hmm. that book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and and for me, I've been enjoying Uncanny X Force, but it diminishes every bit by bit, issue by issue. I mean, this has a very uh, Exilesy type tint, where X Force has ended up trapped in the Age of Apocalypse timeline, and they're on a mission to actually, you know, pr- you've got lots of analog characters, alternate heroes, you've got. You know, this timeline's Jean Grey wanting to make out with Wolverine. And it's it's just kind of a make-out issue. Uh, the cover annoys me in that you... you saw I, I actually had to, I had to stop looking at the cover because the cover... I mean, because it's so badly done. Yes, it's badly done and it's annoying. I mean, it really is. It's one of those things where it, it reminded me of the Bucko installment from yesterday where they, like, come across the two punk couple, you know, the the punk couple that's just groping and rubbing on each other in like a bus station or a train line and they're just like, oh god just stop, you know, it's just it's just, it's a cover of Drunken Groping, I feel like I'm looking no, but it's, at... A, it's a cover of Drunken Groping kids. with the two most lifeless faces ever, look at the faces of that that's like, it's like the, the guy who's painted it, who I can't remember his name, but he's like a really well-respected artist. Uh, has never ever seen anyone kiss or kissed anyone himself. Yes, exactly. Uh, Isad Ribic. Yeah, it's such an appallingly done. Yeah. Cover. Yeah. So I mean, that was kind of annoying. And this this issue is. Oh, I don't even think I made it to the end. Interestingly enough, you're looking through it now. You're like, oh, oh look at that. I'm like, no wonder why I'm annoyed, and it doesn't seem to go anywhere. I gave up reading after page sixteen. So. Captain America Bucky number 620 beautiful 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 art by Chris Samney just gorgeous to look at uh, again one of the if not the best artist doing a monthly book yeah at Marvel or DC these days he's just so good yeah he's totally great I have a sneaking suspicion that sales are going to drop on the title 
Uh, I find because, because it's a flashback book? I don't know. I'm not sure. I think it could be a trifecta. I mean, I'll be honest. I'm like, ooh, Chris Samney art. And I picked it up, and I'm like, I'm kind of bored by this issue. Because it's this issue, this is like the origin of Bucky, and it's done. You know. Thank God. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad that we're getting that. Right. And it's Brubaker and, and Mark and Draco and... You know, I mean, it's a good setup issue. It's like, oh, here's Bucky. Here's who he is. Here's why he acts the way that he acts. Um, but it's also just him, like, punching a lot of guys, you know? And, and in this weird, like, okay, we're taking you on a top secret mission. We're flying you over to England. Okay, see those guys? Beat the crap out of them. Okay, good job. You might be what we're looking for. And, so, and I'm just like, really? That's... This is our secret origin? Like, you, you kind of seem like you have a trouble with your temper and you like scrapping. Let's see you beat some guys. Seriously, if this You, you not... can beat them? That's great. There's a war on, son. There's a war on, son. We might be really interested in your ability to beat people up. And, I mean, it really has. Well, like, to, to, to be fair, they probably would be in that case. Yeah. You know, I mean, I just, I, I kind of, and again, Chris Samney's got some great art. His action chops are, are uh, strong. Like, I haven't seen as a lot of action scenes of him just showing people punching people. It's fine. It's also kind of dull. I was surprised by how dull I found it. I don't know. I think it, it could be that thing of, you know, sort of the ongoing frustration behind craft as you know we've talked about it and as John K UK is covering in his reviews for the critic of like yeah these books are well put together but they also kind of seem uh, depending on how desperate you are <laughs> like either okay great because they're like a few examples of high craft in the industry or they're kind of dull and you feel sort of guilty for thinking that they're kind of well no but i find that I find very often you get people like talking about today's comic industry and being like the quality of craft is so much higher than it's ever been. Mm-hmm. And that's true. But I also feel that if you have to defend the industry and the work by saying the quality of craft is so high, mm-hmm. then something's gone wrong. Right. Because I would much rather read something that was enjoyable and exciting and involving mm-hmm. with a lower quality of craft than I would read something and I'm like, wow, they definitely know what they're doing. Right. Well, and see, I mean, this is the once once craft comes up, you know, it, it's something you've that, kind of lost. Yeah. That, that, that my my brother-in-law, who's a journalist, once said something to Edie and I that made that I thought was really funny, which is he's he's like, whenever a journalist refers to another journalist's article as well-researched, that's a slam. <laughs> and there is a way in which like once we're talking about the craft, it's like, hmm, yeah, OK, there's some level of kind of, you know compensation or defensiveness but i have weird levels of like again as i float on what i feel is the edge of utter you know burnt out cynicism like i find myself like okay so craft isn't exciting me and stuff that just seems like you know punchy junk formulaic punchy junk isn't exciting me like what really gets me what what do i really enjoy I enjoyed Witch Doctor number two. I have to say that. I thought that that I, was... I still haven't picked up number one, but I'm oh, going to. Oh, interesting. Interesting. It's, it's, it's on digital as well. It's, it's literally just I haven't had time or brain space to do this. Right. Um, 
Yeah, number two, I, I enjoyed. There's a way in which it struck me as... I enjoyed the first one more. Like, it, it is one of the things that I think is a, a challenge to, you know, I, as I, I think I mentioned, it's sort of got that, you know, House meets Hellblazer kind of thing. You know, House MD is kind of formulaic as well. And I feel like you've got to be able to, like, switch up your formula enough to keep things interesting. This one does and, you know, sort of talks about the fairy folk and glamour. And it's very different from last issue's one, which was about exorcism and possession. But it also has, like, young kids who aren't what they seem and, you know, a lot of playful exposition. And we'll see. I'm hoping that the next issue, which promises, like, to sort of poke around at Lovecraftian stuff will be a little more um, uh, up your alley <laughs> well not up my alley just just have some new moves you know like this is quite enjoyable I really liked it but I'm I'm also kind of like it's a, it also has a little bit more of the same I suppose so like for example for me like a good example is uh, The Goon which I dearly loved for the first I don't know 12 13 issues maybe 16 issues and then at some point I felt like it's I, once I learned all of its moves, I kind of ceased being surprised, and I kind of got bored. Uh, Walking Dead 87, the book that you will never read, so I shouldn't even bother talking to you about it. No, no, talk about it. Go. Well, but I, which was my clever way of covering up the fact that I thought this issue was kind of dull, and I don't really think that there's going to be much that is going to, you know, it's another issue. Like, it has, he, Kirkman does the thing of like, okay, there's a nice little character bit there. It seems kind of crazy that he took a character that had what looked like most of his head blown off and now appears to be, like, alive and out of a coma, I think. And I, yeah, I kind of... He thought, had that goblin formula. <laughs> that would be great if the character just came back and it's like, oh, this is, the, this is your new son now. His name is Miles Morales. Um, Criminal, Last of the Innocent, issue two, quite good. Again, weirdly, the chops uh, on display. It's the thing where suddenly the craft like works better for me, maybe in just a way that it doesn't... It's something new and different. Like, crime fiction can be... like This didn't really have anything that surprised me, but I still enjoyed it tremendously. And there's one page, actually, where... Um, I don't know if it's Brubaker or Sean Phillips, but it's like uh, kind of a three-tiered grid. Top tier is two panels. The second tier is three panels. And then the bottom tier is four panels. And it is a page where the main character is developing his plan. He's sort of assembling the tools and putting things together in his head. And there's something that's brilliant about that procession from two two panels to three panels to four panels, I was like, oh my God. Like, it's literally like watching a plan unfold, right? I mean, it's still in the organizational phases, but I thought that that was just like, just such a lovely piece of pacing, I think. And then there's another thing that's sort of a, um, kind of a moment of passion, a flashback page that goes from three panels to two panels to one panel at the bottom. And I also thought that that was kind of weirdly well done. And I'm not even really much of a panel watcher counter type guy. I just really realized like how sort of lovely it unfolded. But 
like kind of in the opposite of looking at Captain America and Bucky and going, well, there's a lot of craft there to being kind of like, oh, this, I'm in the story, but this thing that's happening also kind of moves me. You know what I mean? I'm kind of fascinated that this came up uh, with two Brubaker books. Yeah. Yeah, isn't it? And I don't know if the secret ingredient is Sean Phillips or... Um, or whether it's Mark and Draco over on uh, right. Bucky. Right, or if it's possible that it's a, um, it's it's sort of the the I'm I'm not I like crime fiction. I've read crime fiction, but have I read more crime fiction than I've read superhero comics? Man, not even close. So it could just be that showing it in a different, just being in a different genre and having that same level of craft applied, it's kind of like, oh, I'm enjoying the ride. I don't necessarily know where it's going to go. Or even if I know where it's going to go, I'm enjoying it because it doesn't feel like it's a fucking rut, you know? Yeah. Which, again, makes me think, like, eh, maybe it's me, maybe it's not me. Um, uh, Kirby Genesis number two, did you read it? Actually, I did. I did. I got mailed that, yeah. Okay. Dude, I kind of want to talk about it because I really didn't like it. Really? I didn't. It was. It felt like reading Final Crisis, except with characters that I didn't know or care about. Really? Yeah. I really... There was just too much... Everything was jammed forward. It was moving forward at this, like, super clip. Um, you know, it's more of everybody and everything that was introduced. Yeah, I, I felt it was... Uh, I don't want to say transitional, but it definitely felt like it was like, this will make more sense when you read some more. Yeah. It, it, it didn't it didn't feel complete in and of itself. Yeah, it to me it really felt uh it really did feel but also just stages like I mean uh even the stage where like uh how uh what's her name's dad like turns around and starts oh, talking see, to us. I was gonna say that was that really again, that just completely appealed to me. I really liked that. That was that was well. See, I loved it in the first issue, and the second time, I was like, I kind of thought the transition was was kind of punky. Also, part of it may be because for me, um, the stage where the dad is talking to Kirby and then turns and starts talking to us felt a little like I'm kind of like oh oh he's actually looking at me and I like I'm sort of slow but we have three straight pages where he's turning and kind of looking out at us and on the third page it's just because it's his reaction shot to being to the giant Sasquatch creature or whatever mm -hmm. and I, so it was like three pages that ended up somehow feeling like a little too like uh, there wasn't enough pop on the page turn to distinguish them, so it, I think it flattened out for me a little bit. But also, then Sasquatch shows up, and then the aliens like take Kirby, and I'm like, really? We need more characters and more. I oh, see. I that really appeals to me. Going that on. that appeals to me in my sense of Kirby overload, for one of a better way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they they try they're trying to push the Kirby overload and it just ended up being like it just ended up feeling like a big sloppy mess. Like I, I think part of it might be the idea of what ha what helps with a Kirby overload is for me the pacing. Like Kirby's way of jamming everything into a comic and yet unfolding it in, you know, 
double page spreads, single page spreads, and a lot of like four panel grids, uh, I think allows you to kind of mediate the craziness. So it feels less junky, you know? But no, this- I, I know what you mean. There, there's a, a structure that almost normalizes the overload. Mm-hmm. Exactly. In, in a way that in uh, Ross's layouts are definitely much more Neil Adams. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I found pages where, um, you know, like uh, w- when those guys, like whoever the hell, the Keltan, Glita, Bambus, and Turek, or whatever, the, the knights of whomever, like when they transform into their little Tron selves and fly out through the ceiling, like you never see kind of any part of them. Like it's all little bits and shifts and stuff like that. And it has... But is that not intentional because they're going to do a reveal later on as Nightlighter? Yeah, I guess, but, like, that doesn't work for me. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm like, yeah, but it sort of sucks, you know? Like, <laughs> like seriously, it's like you're showing yeah, but, these claims. Yeah, but I, I, think, I think there's a difference between um, disagreeing with someone's choice and something being done poorly. Yes, well, all I can say is the other choices that they made made me feel that this was being done poorly. Like, for example, the very next page where it's like there's a cocoon and there's a figure in it and you've got Silver Star and the dad looking at it through the binoculars and they choose like, you know, a slashy, you know, vertical panel telling like it's very modern, but it really just it it maximizes the amount of overload without without to me revealing the clarity of information. If it had been one thing where the knights had had that page and everything else hadn't felt like everything like it was all being jammed together, that would be one thing. But everything feels so just like we're jamming as much stuff as possible and we're going to choose, you know, m- more modern storytelling methods of delivering it. I just, I just, I, yeah, I just didn't like it. Okay, so you, something you just said brings up what I wanted to talk about, and I kind of want to pick your brain on it. Dun, you dun. you read Dan Slott's Amazing Spider-Man, right? Mm-mm. You don't? I thought you did for some reason. Yeah, uh, no, I, I picked up a couple of issues of it to try it out, and then apparently... Well, I, I know you've definitely read the issues I'm about to talk about, which are the um, Nobody Dies issues that followed the death of Marla Jameson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't read those. You've read those? No. I, you haven't even talked to me about those no, issues. No, I haven't. This podcast. Uh, no, I read, I read the, the dream Mar- issue. I read yeah, the no, dream issue that leads up to... That's what I'm talking about. The oh, Marvel just that issue? issue? Okay, then I can talk about that, yeah. Okay. Um, I'm not just talking about that issue, but I know you've read... I know you read that issue, which is part of the collection I've just read. Okay. Um, I, so I read that. I read the, the... I think it's called Matters of Life and Death, the, the collection of... of I think it's the second collection of slots, big time mm-hmm. issues. Um, and I was also reading a bunch of Paul Levitt's Legion of Superhero issues. Mm. And I realized that what both of them are doing are trying to recreate the experience of reading comics from an earlier period mm-hmm. for a modern audience. Mm-hmm. And they're both doing it in a different way. Mm-hmm. And both of them are coming up with this weird bastardization that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you're not reading Levis's Legion. Right. And it's, that is such an oddly paced and structured comic mm-hmm. that it goes beyond acquired taste mm-hmm. to become 
acquired tastes because you're slightly masochistic. <laughs> Um, for example, the current storyline, which I think ends with, the, in fact, has to end with this month's issue because this is August and everything ends with in August. Oh, for that's days. right, yeah. Um, will have run seven issues. Mm-hmm. There has not been a remarkable amount of forward progression mm-hmm. for whatever better way of putting it. Um, and yet every issue has had something resembling an arc completing it in and of itself, even if that arc is superhero meets supervillain they fight the fight finishes mm-hmm. okay it's weird in that Levitz's old Legion run the one that I adore so much mm-hmm. was also well known for just having stories that continued forever right but the way he's doing it now for this modern audience mm-hmm. it's this weirdly it's decompressed compression mm-hmm mm-hmm and the way that Slot is approaching Spider-Man mm-hmm. is every single story arc is major. Mm-hmm. And I was reading, I was reading uh, the most recent Essential Spider-Man this weekend as well, mm-hmm. which is like issues 210 through 230, something like that. Mm. Um, and what you get when you read those are there's an incredible amount of issues that don't really mean anything. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's got the nobody stops the juggernaut story right at the end. Right. And that's like one of the major Spider-Man stories. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of in retrospect. Like at the time, it's like Spider-Man versus Juggernaut. Eh. And all through it, like you've got all these, you know, it's Moon Knight. Eh, and they're all done in ones or two issues. Right. And they're not really big stories. Right. And Slot's trying to recreate that with his big time run. Mm-hmm. But every single story arc is massive. Right. So Jonah Jameson's wife dies. Or the Spider Slayers come back and it means that Spider-Man loses his spider sense. Or everyone in Manhattan becomes Spider-Man. Or, you know, the Green Go- the Hobgoblin gets killed and there's a new Hobgoblin. Do you know what I mean? Like, everything has a massive plot development in it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's exhausting. Yeah. Yeah, you really it's, need it's, to it's pace it's those things stop. out, don't it's you? It's just like mm-hmm. everything happens always. Right. And, like, maybe you get, like, one issue in between. Mm-hmm. But it's like flipped because in the old days you'd have one big thing and then like nine issues in between. Right. Um, and it's this weird thing where both both Legion and Amazing Spider-Man are quite clearly trying to tap into something that were in the old comics. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they're doing it badly or they're changing it because they think it's what the modern audience wants. But they're creating this like weird hybrid mm-hmm. storytelling style. Right. That is fascinating to read but for all the wrong reasons right yeah yeah i can see that you know it's it's something that i've spent a lot of time thinking about and i sort of have think that this is part of the reason why um people are frustrated and almost bored with brubaker and yet his stuff is sort of more or less accepted as the most successful, I guess, in a way, at, at one level. I mean, and above him is Bendis, which is another tough guy to figure out, is I feel like, at least in Brubaker's case, and I guess we can tackle Bendis in a, in a moment, and everyone else, is figuring out how to conf- how to get that sweet spot. Like how, and I feel like, I feel like Brubaker came, managed to develop it in the course of Captain America, and he is not derived from its sense like it's like okay i know how to tell a superhero comic that you are going to have you know one fight 
and you're going to have the right amount of dialogue, and then it's going to lead you into the cliffhanger, you know, and then as the events get bigger, I even know how to turn turn the glove inside out, so it's like you've got fights at both ends and an emotional sequence in the middle. But what's interesting is I, I think he can only really do that in Captain America. I think if you look at his Uncanny X-Men or Secret Avengers, that's not the case. I think he can't do it in a group book. And it's interesting to see how many people feel that he could really do it in Daredevil. I thought that he could, but I also got bored and walked away. So, but I think it, yeah, I think he can do it as a solo book. He has very big difficulties doing it in a group book. And I'm fascinated by that. I think everyone's trying to figure out, like we all talk about the higher level of craft. I think it just means that the storytelling is very different. Like there are more, like not not everybody, and I this is from my bias as like a Marvel dude. Everybody's not writing in that Stan Lee story style, and the Stan Lee story style is able to smear so many more words on in every sequence, in every caption. Everything is so over jammed that it it's stifling to go back and read it now. But but again, like as I've been saying, this is like my little war drums that I keep beating over and over again. You are able to jam a lot of stuff in, and everyone's trying to figure out how do I take out all that stuff and yet still leave in all the drama and the impact. How do I take out all that stuff and leave in all that stuff? And leave it all in, exactly. And on top of which, this whole thing that everyone talks about, like everyone like really goes for the screenwriting challenges of like, oh, this has to be the biggest drama yet. And this the stakes have to be personal for the hero and all the stuff that you see for Robert McKee. And I'm like... You know, I remember being really struck when I was rereading Amazing Spider-Man uh, issues 120 through basically 175, 178, which are, you know, Jerry Conway's run followed by Len, Wein, Len Wein's run. And I, one of the things that I thought that Conway did, I thought really well, was if he had stuff that was big, like a big, big Spider-Man story, like you had him facing... Um, Harry as the Green Goblin, for example. Uh, things... Well, actually, did he do that? He did do that. He actually would slow... He, he wouldn't have stuff happen in Peter Parker's life. But, like, the, my favorite sequence in Jerry Conway's Ross Andrews Spider-Man, the sequence where um, they finally kiss is set in the middle of a two-part storyline where Peter Parker has to go to Paris to, like, pay a ransom for J. Jonah Jameson, who's been kidnapped by Cyclone. Like, it couldn't be more low stakes, you know what I mean? Like, there's, that's like, that's such a not, like, they were literally like, I don't know what we're gonna fucking do with a supervillain. Or, like, when the Grizzly comes back, or, like, there's a really lovely piece... It's a one-issue story where Spider-Man fights, like, the fucking mindworm of all people, you know, who, I don't know if you remember, is a character... I don't, but part of me wishes his name was actually the fucking mindworm. Oh, it, it should have been. It should have been. Like, he is basically... Dude, he's like he's like he's like a big-headed dude in a tank top. It is, like, one of the laziest supervillain designs in comics. He looks 
horrible. Like no, I don't he's know. He's in a tank top. He's not. If he's got like a turtleneck, that would be better. I don't he's, know why a turtleneck seems so much better to me. Yes. but it really does. If he's yeah. in a turtleneck, I totally sign up for sure, that. Sure, but no, he's in a striped tank top. He's in a striped tank top. So the whole idea is like. Peter Parker has had his apartment bombed. He has nowhere to live. Flash Thompson is like, dude, you can stay with me. He lives out in the middle of nowhere. I don't remember the neighborhood. I want to, you know, and the thing that's fascinating to me about it is, is that, you know, it's out in the middle of nowhere. Flash Thompson's basically living in kind of like a big apartment building that's like a housing project out in the middle of nowhere. Is this pre-Shashan? Yes, it totally is because he's back from the war. Uh, they haven't given him a love interest yet. Um, and essentially the mind worm is this guy who lives out in this building who's able to control people at night in their sleep. And Spider-Man's the only guy who's resistant and he ends up getting into a fist fight with him. And of course there's all these mind controlled people from this apartment building and Spidey's like, I can't hurt them again. It's like, it's like the, it couldn't be – it's like Spider-Man literally walks into this shit and is like, what's going on? Guess I'll punch the fruity-looking guy over there. You know what I mean? And it really couldn't be more low stakes. And yet the story itself in which Peter Parker has to deal with the fact that Flash Thompson is not a dick is kind of good. I mean it really does like help change the nature of it where it's like, oh, like – Peter Parker's always jumping to conclusions like when Flash Thompson's baiting him and stuff and Flash is like, oh, I'm sorry, dude. Of course you can stay with me. I'd love to have you with me. And Peter Parker has to realize like, wow, the problem isn't Flash Thompson. The problem is me. And it's kind of, it's lovely. I mean, it's really like, and yet it's like easily an awful issue of Amazing Spider-Man. You know what I mean? Literally what that made me think about is I'm sure I've read at least two other issues where Peter Parker has that epiphany. I love yes. the idea that Peter Parker just like continually is a dick to watch Thompson's side. Like, why is everyone on his side? Oh, wait, it's me. I'm the dick. Yes, exactly. Why is everyone a dick to me? Oh, it's it's me. I'm a dick. Like, that's just a recurring thing. He has like amnesia over his dickishness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He probably uh, does. Yeah. Also, I'm very back. amused that in, in the essential Spider-Man I just read, Peter Parker's apartment gets bombed again. Yeah. Also, I didn't realize that was a running theme uh, because uh, he has, it's, what is it, Dorka, Dorma? It's, in, it's the Submariner's girlfriend, anyway. Who yes, joins Lady Dorma? Four. Yes, I... who joins the Frightful Four for no mutually apparent reason for that long-awaited Submariner Spider-Man team-up. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating the shit that people think is like a good idea. Um, but, but you know, I I kind of, God, what am I saying here? It, it you have like just heinous coincidences. You've got horrible villains. Like there's, I just finished reading a two the two part issue with the Rocket Racer, um, where the Rocket Racer and Peter Parker. I love this. Peter Parker goes and visits Aunt May in the hospital because she's been in the hospital forever and he keeps getting dragged away by Spider-Man and the doctor thinks that Peter Parker's an asshole who couldn't care less about his aunt. And of course, Peter's like, if only he knew the real me. Oh, wait, I've got to go over across town to like fight a rampaging bear, you know, or whatever. Um, The thing that's lovely is, of course, so this is, I think, a Marv Wolfman said of stories. 
Spider-Man is Peter Parker is like next to Aunt May in one bed, and of course the Rocket Racer in his secret identity is next to his alien mom in her bed, and so the two of them are like they've been fighting earlier in the day, and of course the Rocket Racer is using all of his like you see him stealing money and blackmailing people and doing all this horrible stuff, and it's so he can pay for his mom's health care, and I'm just like. God bless you, Marvel fan. You know what I mean? Like, it's just such a classic. To me, that's kind of like this weird classic Spider-Man story of then Spider-Man's spider sense starts tingling and he bursts into the room and the rocket racer is like, Spider-Man, how'd you find me here? And Spider-Man's like, what are you talking about? And then, of course, everything goes to hell. Three, three words for you. Yes. Ultimate rocket racer. Dude, why not? Right? I mean, Rocket Racer just got name-checked by Colson Whitehead in his, like, uh, really amazing little story about playing in the World Series of Poker. Like, clearly, we all love Rocket Racer, and nobody's willing to actually admit it. So, yeah. Ultimate Rocket Racer. And I guess you can make him white now. So... Oh, my God, even better. Yeah. That's... Bendis, just send the check directly to us, my friend. We're, we'll keep turning him out. You just keep paying us. Yeah, Ben, seriously, I live like right in the corner from your apartment. So, sure, just just drop it off. So, I do think that you're right. I think that there is something that's terrible these days. Like, everyone has to push to make things bigger and bigger and everything. And it's like everyone forgets, like... Or that you need a space to breathe. Like, yeah. one, of, one of the things I loved as a kid reading X-Men was you'd have your big story and everyone would be like, oh, my God, nothing has ever been this bad. And then you'd always have a quiet issue afterwards yeah. where people were like, I'm kind of in shock. Right. right. And um, actually, bizarrely, one of the few comics to do that recently is the War of the Green Lanterns Aftermath miniseries, mm-hmm. which opens with... Like the end of Green Lantern, so you know they've got rid of Hal and Sinestro as the Green Lantern, and I think it's Guy or someone. So one of the the human Green Lanterns is like, "What the fuck is going on?" And they're like, "Wait, we're all in shock. Let's not make any big decision right now." Because they actually like use the rings, and the the rings are like, "You're in shock. Sit down. <laughs> go, go go for a sleep. Seriously, you need to walk it off." And they're all like. Okay, yeah, maybe we shouldn't make any big decisions right now, which I, which is great, but I yeah. wish you saw more of that because all you see these days is, mm-hmm. like, um, death of Johnny Storm. Mm-hmm. Johnny Storm dies. You get an issue with her, like, Johnny Storm's really dead. The next issue, Dr. Doom joins the fucking group. Mm-hmm. It's like, seriously? You can just, like, paste, like, distance those out? Well, and the answer is, like, no, you can't because... A, you need a big beat to finish your first issue. And secondly, you only got 12 issues of FF before Johnny Storm comes back. Right, right, exactly. I mean, you know, it's this weird... And and to worse, again, they chose the choice of, like, we're going to make the grief issue wordless. So, I mean, like... Hey, grief is hard to write, Jeff. It, it is hard to write. And let me tell you, that. so that issue, like, again, you get an issue where it's like, okay, here's the issue where nothing happens. It's wordless. You're done in about 45 seconds. Go. You know, it's like, yeah, I mean, this is the thing that's really weird is these, you know, everyone's aware, like these guys, they all grew up, they read the comics, they all really feel they're, they're all aware, like, yeah, we've got to have a sequence where the X-Men play softball, because that's important. But there's very few of them that can figure out how to put the softball sequence in the sequence of the biggest story ever of all time, and have it lead into schism. Um did you read the 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 Uncanny X Men 
the Kieran Gillen two-parter that has the break world guy and no 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 should should I uh well here's the thing you know who's the um Colin what's his name the guy who uh who you really like who oh god I I I want to say Colin Smith and that's totally not right yeah I know I know the guy you mean though yeah I god bless him I don't know why that guy's under an unlucky star because I'm like his his website's great. I can't think of it now. I've got the wrong name in my head. Anyway, he wrote, is it not too busy thinking about my comics? Is that oh not? yeah yeah I think that's it. Thank you. Yeah, too busy thinking about my comics. He wrote a piece about why this two parter by Kieran Gillen was kind of everything that you'd want in an X Men comic. It is Colin Smith. I've just gone to check. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Well, poor Colin Smith. Anyway, Colin Smith wrote this big piece. I had read the second issue, the second part of that not the first part and I was pretty mad about it in fact I was really like I might I don't know if I dissed it in a capsule review or anything but I was just like man this is a this is a real time waster and his take on it was exactly the opposite of like this is a story that has a story beat for everyone and moves these characters forward and makes you care about them and does the this and this and I'm like really I wish I'd read part one then But but here's the thing both can be true Mm-hmm. Because if you're not following or madly in love with the X Men, and you just dip in being like, "Hey, what happens to X Men?" You can be like, "I this this means nothing to me." Mm-hmm. Whereas if you follow on a regular basis, you could be like, "This is great. This has all these long term or payoffs for long term uh, things. It's building on a lot of stuff. It's got a lot of character beats. It's a breather after what's just happened and what's about to happen. Uh, it's it's reading." Long-term and reading short-term are completely different experiences. They are. They're, they're different experiences. And again, I do feel for these guys because it's like, you've got to craft a long-term experience, but you've got to craft a short-term experience. You can't have too many words, but we need all of the content. Like, you know, no wonder why these guys are, like, pissed off on the internet and willing to, like, you know, just can't take criticism because they're just like, shut up, shut up, shut up. I'm trying. God help me. I'm trying. Like Dan Slott. I don't know why I don't like Dan Slott's Spider-Man. We've talked about it. I keep picking it up and I'm like, yeah, no, it is just, it's not right. But I kind of have this stage of like, maybe this is why Ultimate Spider-Man will work for me is like, I I dearly love Peter Parker, but the guy is done. He's never going to grow. He's never going to change. This is another thing that I think we could or should get into is like I was reading a letters column where somebody was complaining about the fact that, that Marvel's characters like Peter Parker is sort of stuck in a time warp and isn't aging and isn't allowed to be a, an actual adult that the people can identify with. And it's in like amazing spider-man issue like 133 or something you know where Mm. we i don't think a lot of people talk about it but back at the time like marvel comics were like no marvel comics are different the characters actually grow and change and at a certain point very clearly people were like uh time to stop that yeah exactly we went through a stage where it's like okay we'll just we'll change them very slowly and then as the next decade plays out it's like okay we just we can't do it like we can't we just gotta we've gotta roll back the thing on peter parker and i think in a way that's i don't know if that's fine or not part of me is like that's fine part of me is like that's a huge mistake you should let you should let these characters grow up age with the fandom that's aging them and come up with another group of younger you know more miles moreno ishy group for See, that's, that's, yes. that's a great idea mm-hmm 
but it will never happen. And we both know it'll never happen. Yeah, we both know it'll never happen. Um, because of the, the nature of, because the game is the game, yo. I, I, <laughs> Omar, is that you? <laughs> I'm impressed, no, but, yes. But, but the, the, the readers don't want the characters to age. Except they do. Mm-hmm. Like when readers themselves don't know what they want mm-hmm. and can't agree with themselves. And I'm not meaning there are different subsets of readers. Mm-hmm. I mean, the reader cannot agree with himself right. over what he wants from the comics. Mm-hmm. I want nothing to ever change, but I want every story to have impact. Right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Because are we are completely you- against each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think that's it. Because the idea of. We don't want to pretend – we don't want to acknowledge that the idea of read, reading superhero comics after you've been reading them for 30 years and reading superhero comics after you've been reading them for two years are vastly different experiences. You know, We want them yeah. to be the same experience and there's just – there's no way that they can be and yet we want them to be and we sort of demand it from the product, not from us. You know? Yeah, it's just uh... – Miles, this is why I think Miles Morales is not going to stay around. Mm -hmm. Either Marvel is going to stick with their guns and the readership are ultimately going to decide that they don't want to read about a Spider-Man that's not Peter Parker and sales will fall. Mm -hmm. Or Marvel will not stick with their guns and they will replace Miles with Peter Parker who has returned for the sensationalism of it. See, and this is what I think is fascinating, is Marvel, for the most part, has done a remarkable job of staying out of what we should call the DC trap, you know? Like, DC has mastered this art of, we introduce a new character, you know, a a legacy character, Half the people make noises like they're completely uninterested in the character. The character drops, you know, sales drop down to a different level. We bring back the original character, then the fans of the legacy character get pissed. If you're lucky, you do it on that grand DC style where people are like, I grew up loving the Justice League. Who is this non-John Stewart Green Lantern character and why should I care about him? You know? Yeah, yeah. And, and I really think that DC has handled that very badly. I think it would be really if if they were if they were really smart, like and of course it's too late. <laughs> it's you know, it's too late. They you if know they were really smart. Oh Jay. You're yeah, smart. I know. But no, I but I mean like, you know, they've got the big that Spider Man X D series or whatever that Joe Casey and the Men of Action guys are working on. Yeah, which is called Ultimate Spider Man. If that was Miles Morales and they had been working on that all the time and keeping that under their hat that would be some pretty big ass science to drop, but you know that that's not going to be the case. Oh, yeah, I'm I'm fairly sure that they've actually even announced that you know this is the guy voicing Peter Parker. So yeah, right. So, but that, that's just it. Like I was thinking that earlier on this week, does Miles Morales just by his very existence invalidate the Ultimate Line? Does it turn it into this fanboy centric curio that? Is so separated from every other version of the character and of the Marvel line that it's it's not marketable. 
to me, that happened in the Ultimate line so much earlier. Like, for me, once you had Ultimatum, I think it... Ultimatum just proved, like, the Ultimate Universe had always been walking that very fine line between being its own thing and being something that just, like, you know, like you said, was absolutely all of that. But I think Ultimate... Ultimatum really pushed it over the line until, okay, this is the big event. This is being pushed as a major thing. It's gobbledygook on its own terms. It it means nothing unless you're invested, not even in these characters, but in the characters from the other universe, so that you're getting some sort of weird... Exactly. So so it actually matters that the Wasp is dead, because if you only knew knew the Wasp through Ultimates, she's pretty much a non-entity. Exactly. Exactly. You know? But, But at the same time, you see, you say that, but I think the Ultimate Spider-Man comic that came out of Ultimatum when it was Bendis and Lafuente mm-hmm. for the first year, year and a half, right. was completely in tune with Spider-Man as he was sold in the movies, Spider-Man as he's appeared in the comics, more so than the Marvel Universe version. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that you could make the case that the Ultimates are the movie version of the Avengers. Oh, I think you can make a huge case. I mean, but, but I think that as soon as you say Peter Parker's dead and Miles Morales is now Spider-Man, but in every other version, in every other medium, Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Are you not pretty much saying we admit it? The Ultimate Universe is only for the hardcore fanboys. Are you not creating a boundary that doesn't need to be there? Um, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's a really good question. I mean, the thing that's weird is, to me, is that the Ultimate Universe, people were super impatient with it. And and by people, I kind of feel like Marvel, because... Yeah, I was going to say, the the creators especially, it's like, you know what, everything is happening! Mm -hmm. Everything, we got to get to it. When's Ultimate Phoenix happening? Where it's like, if they had actually allowed themselves to just sell a certain level, not even that high, but kept everything in line so that, like by, like you said, by the time the Avengers comes out and people walk into the street, because you really do have that. I don't know about what's his dingle, but like, you know, you can read, you, if, someone, if someone really liked the Iron Man movie, like before Fractions series really came out, uh, and I was behind the counter, and they were like, "How can I read more of this character?" And I like this character. You'd hand them the Ultimates, you know. Yeah. And I feel like there's a lot. There's a lot of people going, "Okay, take this, take this version, and run with it." And you, you can have. But it's that classic. It's almost like what people were complaining about back in like 1987 or 1988, where they got through the four graphic novels that they liked, and were like, "Okay, and then what?" And you'd just be like, ha, 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 oh. That's so sweet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, you're back again? We hadn't planned on that. So, yeah, I mean, I think I think Marvel Marvel did it to themselves. They, they continued to, like, insist that they had to have a certain level of sales. They had to have a certain level of attention. You know, they expected the writers to do a certain amount of stuff. And they, they had to keep pushing everything forward. And... Like I said, I feel like it got to that point anyway, because although I heard you and who was it that I was reading who I think I want to say it was Tucker Stone, maybe who really liked that second run of um, of Ultimate Spider-Man, the Spider-Man and his amazing friends stuff. Like, 
I mean, that crap wasn't selling. But maybe they should have been okay with that. Maybe they should have just said, you know what? It's not selling. Let's keep giving Bendis the money to keep doing those stories because he's got another two years mapped out. And by that point, we'll have the Spider-Man movie with Andrew Garfield out and we can, we'll have books to put in readers' hands again that will line up. Yeah, because what I think is just going to happen is this: you're seeing things like season one or um, Disney are also doing this thing called Marvel Press mm-hmm. where they're doing storybooks uh, origin thing. And it's all Marvel Universe stuff. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you know, wow, we're going to bring new readers into these characters that come from the movies. But it doesn't feel like it's it doesn't feel like that deals with the problem of they'll read season one they'll be like what's next and then you'll be like well funny you should ask here are 72 different Avengers books mm-hmm. you know do you want to read the 200 plus trades of Spider-Man in oh, different yeah. continuities but I say that of course but you know it's Marvel do you want to read the three trades that are still in print still in print oh, oh man there is nothing funnier I don't mean to interrupt you but did you ever download that or read that essential Marvel checklist? Yes, yes, I did. Isn't that hilarious? I, I, I fucking I, had tears in my eyes from laughing so hard after about this. It feels like a fucking joke. It's you like, know? hey, this is a good use you have read. And you're like, you do. You are aware that maybe a tenth of these books are still available, right? Yeah, like just hilarious. And it goes on like, this is the order you should read them in. And of course, feel free to read in any other order. And you're just flipping through it. I'm like, there's 97,000 fucking Avengers titles. Nobody's going to read them in this order, even if Marvel could give them to you, which let's face it, they're not. Like, it really is just, like, the Marvel checklist to developing an aneurysm, you know? Like, I, like, this will never, this, if you try and follow this path, you will only cause yourself pain and suffering. Like, it's kind of awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and that's another upbeat ending. Done and done, I tell ya. That was spectacular. <laughs> I don't know, I just, I just feel that, um, ah, I like... Miles as a concept, I'm very nervous about the way they're going to portray him, and I'm also very nervous that Marvel are going to completely lose out and be like, oh, "We need Peter Parker." Right. Right. I, th- I think I think he's doomed. I think he's doomed from his very appearance. <laughs> we'll see. I certainly hope not. But oh, I certainly hope not. I hope that. I mean, what I really wish was I wish someone else was writing him. I know that's that's horrible. No, I'm. But I really do. I I stopped reading Bendis a long time ago. Yeah, no, absolutely. There's, there's like a handful of people that I would love to see write that character. Who? Because I, I honestly was thinking of people and I couldn't think of any names. So who? Uh, David Brothers. Uh, John Rogers. Um. Actually, John Rogers would be amazing. Yeah, David, David Brothers might be amazing as well, but I've never read it. Right. Exactly. So, so who knows for sure? Um. Oh, God. Okay, give me a second here. Because um, it really is. It's one of those, like, I hadn't really thought much about it. So I'm like, I'm like, no, no, no. There's, like, current character. Like, I'm like, who are those guys who I really like who are super modern? Like Jeff Parker? Uh, yeah, Jeff Parker actually would be would be great. Um, da, 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 da. Um, John Rossum, actually, the guy who, who's doing Zombie. I think uh, I would... I would He's kind of got a great idea of, you know, handling of sort of laconic characters. Um, mm-hmm. And in fact, you know, the, the main character in Zombie is uh, is a character who's a minority and you would never 
necessarily know. Um, God, who's the guy who, like... Oh, um, Chris Robertson, actually. Um, which I know sounds kind of like a weird thing, but based on some of the stuff with iZombie and stuff like that, I think... No, no I, I think I think Chris Robertson would be really, really good. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, like... I, I don't know. They, I, I keep thinking like there's some other Portland guy who's like work I really like, who's like got like a real fresh, clever take on things. Paul Tobin. Yeah, I th- I think so. Although I think I think Tobin's really, um, yeah, might be. I, he might be actually be a really good choice because of his all ages stuff. Um, Greg Rucka, actually, I would like to see. Um, because I think Rucka would be kind of interesting to do Spider-Man um, if he could get outside of his his wheelhouse, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, bah, 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 bah. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but but yeah, Roger, actually, I'm like, Rogers came to mind. I'm like, there's another guy, and I, I'm like, Dwayne McDuffie. Um, yeah, I don't know. Oh, too soon. Yeah, is it too soon? I don't know. I, I, I kind of feel it's too soon. I, I I'm I'm a sap, but see I'm a sap. I don't mean it in a, I don't mean it in a sarcastic way. I mean I really like. Uh, no, no, I you know I, what don't, I mean. I like don't, it. Hurts, I don't mean but... it. But it doesn't that sort of mean it's not sad? Yeah, no, I agreed. Um, so I don't know. Keep beating. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly I read the shit out of Keep Beaten being given a, a Spider-Man book. Wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, it really is great. I I love her stuff so much. Her whole like fop gun cartoon that was recent just had me laughing, dude. Okay, so we should think actually about leaving. About stopping talking. Stopping talking exactly because I don't know when you've got to go do your thing. I, I have to do my thing. Uh, actually, never mind doing my thing. I probably have to do some work before I go and do my thing. Wow, you are crazy, man. Okay. Um, because I have to, I owe Newsarama a blog post about the hilarious Twitter war between Ron Mars and Scott Lobdell this morning. <gasps> oh my God, I totally missed it. Is this the a sh- thing you sh- tell short, me about? Short version is this. Mm-hmm. Ron Mars has been, been like, you have a problem with Spider- the new Spider-Man being black. Fuck you, you're racist. You're like, get over yourself. Right. Scott Lobdell starts attacking Ron Mars for attacking the racists. Huh, that's an interesting... Uh, yeah, exactly. And he's not doing it in a defending the racist way. He's doing it in a sense of, like, that's really gutless. Who's going to defend racists? They're idiots. Wait. Um, like, it, does, it doesn't make any sense. It's like he's actually been pissed at Ron Mars for years. Mm-hmm. And it's all of a sudden just like... Totally. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. That whole thing of, like, ooh, there's just something that someone did... Boy, believe me, I've got a short list of people that I cannot follow on Twitter because if they just said something and I would be like, you know. Oh, I, who, who, who? Oh, no, I carry that secret to my grave or at least until we're officially off mic. But uh, yeah, absolutely not. Will I be mentioning those names? Because they're so... I kind of wish you were going to say, absolutely not. Will I be mentioning... And then you name someone. Yeah, that'd be great. There's absolutely no way that I'll ever mention Warren Ellis' name because he will hear. And God, Warren Ellis... Uh, can, I, can I bitch about <laughs> Warren Ellis, though? Let me tell you. His whole post about the whole, like, oh, Eric Stevenson wrote this really lovely thing for me about image and how I'm like leaving the field and it's yeah it's a shame i really here i am i'm i'm leaving the field and like i never really got a chance to do half the things i wanted to fucking do and i'm like 
what? Like, fuck you. Like, I really had no patience for it. It's like, Ellis gets into that stage when, when, when Warren Ellis gets a little whiny, it's just so, like, it's, it just strikes me as so entitled and annoying. Did you, did you read the post? Yes. Yes, I did. Okay. And I, I yeah, it's the sneaker pimps thing. And no, no, that's the one. No, no, sneaker pimps is the one where he's That was like, actually kind of a great one where it was like, stop putting, you know, pitting writers against each other and stop being surprised when they hate you, you know, which I thought was great. So, but yeah, his whole thing, it's a strange thing for me to be done with comics, especially when there's so much left to do that I will never be able to do. And on weeks like this, I wake with frustration that I'm leaving the field with all the things I wanted to achieve half done. And actually, what was great was, one last thing. If your SVK torch appeared, uh, arrived an operative, Berg have written this post to apologize and explain why. We did tell everyone this was an experimental publication. I'm like, man, goodbye, Warren. You know, like, that's how I'll remember Ellis. Like, making apologies for shit that he didn't do or didn't finish when he had all the time in the world to fucking do them and finish them. And sorry if you got burned by the thing that didn't work out because he told you that it probably wouldn't work out anyway at the beginning. You You were just saying that because you were reading New Universal. Admit it. Dude! That or about seven other titles. Yeah, I'm pissed no, about... No, but, but what I love about New Universal is New Universal is like the Marvel books that even Tom Brevoort's like, we're not going back to that. Yeah. Like, he's just completely, he's just completely open. He's like, yeah, that's never being finished. That's never, never, never being finished. Everything else Tom Brevoort will be like... Because on his Farm Spring page, people are like, what about blah, blah, blah? And he's like, you never know. And right. New Universal is the one book where he's like... Are you high? We'll right. finish that. <laughs> that would be great. Are you high? Man, I would love to hot hack Tom Brevoort's Formspring account and just be like, what? Like, just have questions where people ask him questions and his only response is like, what? In like all cap letters. <laughs> or animated GIFs. Like, that would be great. <laughs> that would be so great. To us, the hacking internet public. Come Please. on, we have to make this happen. Come on, there's got to be a couple of you lol sec people who didn't get arrested who are like just looking for something to do. Hey, like, Jeff, 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 don't piss off lol sec. <laughs> just don't piss off lol sec. True enough, that is true. Uh, okay, so... I, I think that arguably is us finished on an upbeat for once. Yeah, I guess it is. Me shit-talking Warren Ellis and... <laughs> I'm, 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 Pissing off Lulsec. And pissing off Lulsec. It was nice knowing you, Jeff. (laughs) I I think you can keep doing exactly what you're doing. I'm not wanting to upset you in any way whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) And so we end the podcast as we began. Cowardly and craven. (laughs) Uh, Exactly. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) 